speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 39 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we are going to continue our march toward the end of season 2 of The Adventures of Superman with episodes 21 and 22, The Golden Vulture, and Jimmy Olsen, Boy Editor. And I'm going to be honest, the decision on these two episodes is a little split as... The first one, The Golden Vulture, is not one of the better episodes of the series. It's actually pretty weak. Although it does have a good fight scene, which we'll get to at the end. And Jimmy Olsen, Boy Editor, is an entertaining story, but some of the plot line, some of the things that happen in the episode are kind of ridiculous. Like, one of the questions I ask is, why would they really put the young people in charge for the day? But I guess without that, there wouldn't be a, an episode to talk about, so... We're going to head right into things. I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then we're going to come back with The Golden Vulture. Hang around, folks. Carl, you have traveled far. One journey has ended. A new journey is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Magnus here. I do a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. What I do is spend six episodes talking about comics, movies, and TV shows. But all that stuff gets put on hold every eighth episode so that I can talk about Smallville. Smallville's the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history. Smallville's my favorite version of Superman apart from the comics, and so every eighth episode, I put Smallville under a microscope. Listeners all around the world have been shocked to discover just how awesome Smallville truly is and just how well it holds up to critical scrutiny. I've recently finished what most people regard as Smallville's first run with the conclusion of the mighty third season of the show. But as awesome as Smallville may have been up to this point, the best is still to come. And I want you along for the ride. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville, an eighth episode feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, now with fewer cigarette breaks. So check out Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday for all the Smallville small talk you could ever hope to shake a stick at. Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday only at twotruefreaks.com. Welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Golden Vulture. Original broadcast date was February 1st, 1954. Writer was Jackson Gillis, and director was Tommy Carr. Guest cast includes Peter Whitney as Captain McBain, Vic Perrin as Scurvy, Robert Bice as Bennett, Murray Alper as Sanders, 
Wes Hudman as the dockhand, Sal Gorse as the sailor, with Carl Sachs and Dan Turner also taking turns as a sailor. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. The SS Golden Vulture is a salvage boat that has been searching for sunken treasure in the Caribbean, commanded by the mad Captain McBain, whose delusions allow him to believe he is a pirate like Long John Silver. Fifteen men on the man's chest, you and a bottle of rum. Drink to the devil and done for the rest, you McBain has bullied mousy steward Scurvy, believing that it could make a man out of him. However, Scurvy has grown weary of his captain's abuse and sent a message in a bottle, which washed up on the shore while Daily Planet Cub reported Jimmy Olsen was fishing. The seawater got into the bottle and you just can't read any of the writing. Olsen, can't you be away from this office for even one day without bringing back a mystery? Well, jeepers, that bottle could have been floating around since the days of Captain Kidd. Or it could be a note to the milkman. Well, it must have been printed for a ship. It has SS Golden Vulture on it. But if there was a message, it's long since been washed off. Jeepers, I couldn't make out anything but a smudge. Golden Vulture, that's a wild guess. And I'll prove to you I'm right. Okay. So you phone the Maritime Commission and they say there is a ship called the Golden Vulture. Exactly. That only proves Mr. Kent wasn't guessing. What are you looking so smug about? I only told Clark and the Chief part of it. I didn't tell them the vultures anchored off the coast right now, and I didn't tell them what kind of a ship it was. What do you mean? It's a salvage boat, Jim. It's been down in the Caribbean dragging for sunken treasure. But the note, how does that fit in? That's what we're going to find out about. There's a mailboat leaving for the vulture in an hour. Are you game? I'm as game as the next guy. I only hope the next guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> Come on. Jimmy and Lois have both boarded the Golden Vulture. Welcome aboard the Golden Vulture, folks. Are you the captain? McBain, miss. Captain McBain at your service. I'm Lois Lane, and this is Jimmy Olson. We're from the Daily Planet. Mr. Olson, Miss Lane, it's my pleasure. Jeeper is a real salvage ship. That's right, boy. Come up to my cabin, I'll tell you more about it. You, mister, get a move on. Start up that winch. You blasted idiots! I thought I told you! Sorry, mate. Oh, that's okay. But what about my camera? A shame, that's what it is. But don't you worry, son. The owner will pay for every penny of it. Now, off you go. Captain McBain does not want them on the ship, but he cannot do anything until a supply barge arrives in an hour. Sit down, sit down, both of you. It'll be an hour before the supply barge can take you back to shore. Supply barge? But aren't you docking in a few hours? It's no time to dock, son. As soon as we get provision, we're putting out to sea again. Can the two of you keep a secret? Sure, Captain. We're the best secret keepers in town. <laughs> Key, huh? <laughs> you were wondering why the Golden Vulture is in such a hurry to get back to the Caribbean, eh? 
Well, this is nothing compared to what's still down there on the bottom. Why, these old-fashioned settings alone are worth $100,000. Worth more, miss. To the museum, lots more. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't send for you, Scurvy. Get out of here. Yes, sir. Of course, sir. I only thought you might like a cup of coffee for the guests, sir. No, they'll be leaving soon. Very good, sir. I'll get rid of this, sir. Get out of here, I told you. Yes, sir. Wait a minute, Stuart. Uh, Jimmy, isn't this, uh, rather an interestingly shaped bottle? Huh? Hey, that's the same kind of bottle as before. And this note is written on the same kind of paper that... Another note, Scurvy? Up to your old tricks again, Scurvy. sure with you. The captain is crazy. This ship is... I didn't read it. I don't know what it says. Not even what it says about the treasure? And we were having such a good time. But that's all over now. Nobody leaves this cabin. If I don't get home about this time, my mother starts to worry. Aye! And this time, she'll have something to worry about. <laughs> in his search for Lois and Jimmy, Superman, in his guise of Clark Kent, has discovered that the supply vessel is actually sending more gold and jewels to the Golden Vulture. He has just made his way to the salvage ship to find that Lois and Jimmy are being held captive in the captain's quarters, while Scurvy is in irons in the brig. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Would you please stop singing that song? Oh, no, there's no reason to get mad at me. Mm, that's the way I look at it. Who's mad? Good boy. Here, have a doubloon. Oh, goody. Now you can both play pirate. The owner will be aboard pretty soon, and he'll decide what to do with you. But I don't like women on ships. Neither do I. Of course, come to think of it, I might change my mind. Yes, it might be best if you were to stay aboard this next trip. I could use a new steward, a stewardess. One that doesn't like to write so many notes. But we didn't read the note. Captain, we don't know what that man wanted to tell us. We don't know of anything wrong aboard this ship. Except it's Captain, maybe, huh? <laughs> Sit down! That's a good boy. You wouldn't want to make me lose count while I'm putting all this pretty stuff away now, would you, huh? Fifteen men on a dead man's chest. Clark has just broken the chains that imprisoned scurvy. Nate, I don't know who you are, but get me off this ship. They'll kill me this time. They won't let anybody off. 
Take it easy. What kind of a contraption is this? Anyway? He's crazy, I tell you. He collects all this old pirate junk just to make things look good, but he uses it, too. He's even got a pair of thumb screws. I bet he uses them on me next Take time. Take it easy, I said. Keep your eye on the door. I mate. How'd you do that? Well, the chain must have been rusty, I guess. What did you mean the captain wants to make things look good? There's a lot more goes on around here, mate, than meets the eye. Oh, I can figure that. It isn't the only rusty chain on this ship, either. Most of the gear's rusty. And those fancy winches for underwater grappling. Huh, I bet they won't even work. This is a treasure ship, all right, mate. But not the kind she's rigged to be. Come on, I'll show you. The oven and molds are over there. They melt it down. You mean the treasure? They make their own treasure. This is where the goldsmith works. They've even got a jeweler served a hitch in prison once. Hmm. And all the doubloons and antique jewelry are made right here, huh? Every scrap of it. It's a great racket they got, I tell you. Selling the stuff to museums is genuine pirate belief. Winch, that's all. Supply barge has been alongside for several minutes. That means the bosses aboard will be pulling anchor soon. I wouldn't be too sure. Tell me, can you get back where you were without going down the forward hatch? Sure, I can go back through the engine room. Good. A famous confidence man, jewel thief, and fence named Sanders has just boarded the Golden Vulture. What's the matter? Don't you even say hello? What? How did you get out here? Never mind. Tell that barge to shove off without you. I will not. Sailor. Tell the barge to go on. Uh, uh, I'll be sailing with you. All right. Shove off. Sanders orders. Sanders. Sanders, of course. I should have known. Confidence man and jewel thief. I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't know what you think you're trying to get away with. Now, take that gun out of my back. It's no gun. It's just a finger. Cut the jokes, huh? I can tell metal when I feel it. You ain't got fingers made out of steel, buddy. Maybe you're right, Mr. Sanders. However, I got a peek into one of your crates on shore. What was in there? Jewels and gold and silver? Stolen goods, perhaps? You tell me. Maybe I will. Let's see. You're a rather important fence, aren't you? Unfortunately, a fence can only realize a fraction of the value of stolen goods. Isn't that right? Therefore, you had this ship rigged up to convert it to antique things like uh, Spanish treasure, supposedly discovered in the Caribbean. Yeah, that's right. Museums and collectors pay more than their full value. Works out pretty well, too. We bring gold and silverware to the ship from all over the country. Grab Clark had just learned these facts. However, it may be too late. McBain's men are attacking him, McBain himself has joined the fight, and after punching McBain, Clark gets away to change into Superman. Unfortunately, Jimmy and Lois prevent this by running to him. Superman, where are you? Jeepers, Mr. Kent, where'd you come from? Look out, kid. No, but we just got loose from the cabin. He's on the bridge. Cut him off on the port side. Go on, leave oh, me alone. Clark, you can't fight the whole ship. You don't have him. him. All right, take him below. 
A blindfolded clerk has been made to walk the plank. Doing now, march! No, no you crazy! You've been playing pirates so long you believe in your Get down! Hey, I know you have to kill him, but you can't make a man walk the plank! Beard! This is my ship, do you hear? What was good enough for Blackbeard is good enough for me. Maybe this will be a lesson to the rest of you swine. We'll fly the Jolly Roger yet! You ready, Mr. Kent? Give my regards to Jamie Jones. <laughs> Mr. Kent! Get those two below! Put them in irons! This gives him a chance to deal with Sanders and McBain's men in a way that only Superman could. McBain's sword even bends against Superman's invulnerable chest. And the gang of thieves is no longer a threat, but Superman jokingly takes his time to save Clark Kent as he bounds the villain's hands in iron. Hurry, Superman, Mr. Kent's drowning. I know, Jim. They made him walk the plank. I saw him. Will you please not worry? Look, I'll show you a trick. Mr. Kent's down there. They tied his hands behind him. It's been less than a minute, Jimmy. He'll just have to hold his breath a little longer. But Superman! He may be dying. Don't you understand? Well, that should hold him till I can signal the Coast Guard. Superman, what's the matter with you? Here, Jim, you better hold this. Superman, will you please get down there and save Mr. Kent? I'll never forgive you if he drowns. All right, all right, I'm going. But I'm finished here, and I won't be back. I don't care. Just save Clark. Here he comes. Clark, Clark, are you all right? Oh, sure, Lois. <laughs> Just a little wet, that's all. Why, are you worried? Well, yes. I, I mean, Superman waited so long and... and... Yes. And you appeared right after he disappeared. Oh, Lois, I... uh, give me your hand, will you? Oh, oh. <laughs> what? what did you say you were thinking, Lois? Never mind, Clark. It couldn't be. It just couldn't be. Now, first and foremost, I want to say that I do love a good pirate story. However, this isn't one. And I'm probably going to be singing this song that uh, Captain McBain is singing in his cabin all night, but that's okay. I am willing to endure that for the sake of this podcast. McBain is sorting through his treasure, his jewels and gold kablooms or whatever you want to call them. But So what's a pirate captain really without a treasure chest, some jewels, and an empty bottle of rum? So to start out, McBain definitely has all of the trappings of a pirate, at least in the stereotypical sense. Now, in comes Scurvy, and uh, you can tell that McBain is very abusive toward his steward. He jokes around with him and basically belittles him while he's wearing a king's crown on his head. So, I'm guessing McBain spends a lot of his time drunk. It's not a hard sell, considering that he just downed that bottle of rum. Or at least we're meant to think that he did. So, after taking uh, some of McBain's abuse for a minute or so, Scurvy is going to send a literal message in a bottle and toss it overboard. Apparently for him, it's no fun on the high seas. Now we get a shot for the ladies of 1954 as a shirtless Jack Larson is fishing in a very tight and short bathing suit. I guess that shot could be for a percentage of the guys as well. That is certainly not for me to judge. So the bottle washes up shore as Jimmy's fishing. And Jimmy picks up the bottle and, well, what does he do with it? He brings it back to the Daily Planet because why not? Jimmy's done with his lonely fishing trip for the day, but he 
didn't come back empty-handed as he brings the bottle and the mystery with it back to the planet office where he shows it to Lois and Clark and Perry. And, you know, why not? Maybe this could be a good story. We know from watching this show that none of our main characters are ever off the clock, even when they're on vacation on a fishing trip. Perry is angry because Perry is always angry. He's This time he's angry at it, at Jimmy, for bringing back a mystery from his vacation. You know, as a Daily Planet story, employing investigative reporters, you would think Perry would like a little bit of a mystery, but apparently not here. Clark deciphers the golden vulture because, you know, supervision. Lois points out that she can only come up with a smudge because, like the rest of us, she is not blessed with supervision in any way. But Lois does some digging, as Lois is wont to do, and she does discover that there is a ship called the Golden Vulture, and it just happens to be docked outside of town, or outside of town on the harbor. And, of course, they didn't tell Clark or Perry everything, because they would probably stop them from going onto the ship. Apparently, the Golden Vulture is a salvage ship looking for treasure. It sounds more like a pirate ship to me. And I love how when Lois asks Jimmy if he's game for this new mission, Jimmy basically, I love the line that says Jimmy says he's about as ready as the next guy and he just hopes the next guy knows what he's doing. You know, it shows that Jimmy is not too confident in what he's doing, and but you know what? He doesn't really want any part of this, and he's going to be dragged along anyway. That's kind of classic Jimmy. He just kind of gets dragged into, into trouble. So, off they go. They meet, they meet Captain McBain, and he's not very happy about having reporters on the ship, but he's going to have to deal with it for at least an hour. Apparently, Jimmy's camera met with an accident. Don't believe for a minute that it actually is one. They don't want the reporters on the ship, and they certainly don't want any cameras on it either. Oh, Jimmy is disappointed to hear that the Golden Vulture is going out to sea. I think he envisioned spending a little more time on it. And then McBain very interestingly asks if Lois and Jimmy can keep secrets. <laughs> Jimmy hilariously mentions that he and Lois are the best secret keepers in town, but you know from experience that Jimmy cannot keep a secret to save his life. There have been multiple times in this show that Keeping something confidential goes double for Jimmy, according to Perry. And he is not above referring to him as James Blabbermouth Olsen, which usually comes at a time when Jimmy has to promise that he won't say anything. And when Jimmy says he's not going to say anything about something, that is generally a good indication that he actually is going to say something about it. So McBain shows them the treasure, which Lois points out is worth a ton of money. So now we kind of know why Captain McBain is heading... At least we think we know why Captain McBain wants to head him back out to sea immediately, you know. If all this treasure was out there sitting on the seafloor, I'd probably be heading out there myself. If I had a salvage ship, that is. Now, apparently Scurvy is worried about something outside the cabin as he is writing notes again. As you recall, writing notes is how this episode got started. And as soon as Scurvy enters the captain's cabin, McBain's attitude changes immensely. And this is where we learn that Scurvy has sent messages overboard before. So McBain takes the note because because Lois and Jimmy can't keep their mouths shut so much for being the best secret keepers in town. Maybe instead of worrying about Captain McBain's secret, they should have been a little more concerned about Scurvy's secret and not ran their mouth about the bottle that actually led them to the Golden Vulture. Because you'll see that Lois will match up the rum bottle in the cabin to the bottle that they found, that Jimmy found, washed up on shore. So McBain takes the note, reads it, and it says that the, one of the things it says that the captain is crazy, and then before he can say something about the ship, McBain's attitude changes, and I love how Jimmy comments that his mother will worry as if that's going to help him in some way. It doesn't. It just makes McBain angrier and indicating that, yeah, Jimmy's mother is going to have something to worry about. So, back on the land, Clark is at the docks, and he's concerned about Lois and Jimmy. Clark is amongst the freight that's going out to the Golden Vulture, and even though these crates say food, 
Clark X drags the box and sees some jewels in it. So things are starting to get a little curious here. I mean, you would think a salvage ship like the Golden Vulture, if that's really what it was, would be loading jewels off the ship instead of taking jewels and treasure onto the ship. So Clark X-raying the the boxes and it's saying food and being jewels is a big indicator, other than the crazy captain, that something is not quite right on the Vulture. So, Clark turns into Superman and flies from left to right on your screen. Normally, he goes the other way when he's going someplace. He usually only flies from left to right when he's returning, but he's going out into the water onto the boat. And this is kind of where the episode goes off the rails a little bit. Because, of course, the first thing Superman does when he gets onto the ship and he sees someone is he hides. Not a very Superman-like thing to do. You would think Superman would want to get on there and take care of business rather immediately. And then, for some inexplicable reason, he becomes Clark again. And he's going to poke around in his business suit as Clark. There is no explanation for how Clark even gets to the ship. So we got some secret identity problems in this episode right off the bat. If Superman had just stayed Superman, then there would be no problems. But he opted to make his life far more complicated than it really needed to be. Lois and Jimmy are still in McBain's cabin. They're getting quite bored with him and his singing, and they're probably about as bored with the captain as I'm kind of getting with this episode at this point. And like I said, you do 26 episodes a season, they're not all going to be Panic in the Sky. And I've also mentioned in the opening, this and last week with Bob, this season does kind of stumble to the finish line. So we do learn that McBain and Lois have something in common. They don't like women on ships, which I think was supposed to be funny. It wasn't, but... On a more serious note, I would figure pirate captains would like having a, a woman on a ship. And then he indicates that maybe he'll make her a stewardess. So maybe he, she's going to be the replacement for scurvy. Now, Jimmy tries to leave, but Big Bang kind of swings the sword at him. And he mentions that the owner will decide what to do with them. We actually have already met the owner. Clark had a run-in with Sanders on the docks. He is the owner of the ship, as we're going to find out in a few minutes. Now we get more Clark skulking after the... Seen in the captain's cabin, like I mentioned before, there's absolutely no reason for him to be doing this as Clark. He can just as easily do it as Superman and save himself a whole lot of time, effort, and trouble. Especially when he finds Scurvy in the brig, who still wants to get off the ship, and now I can't say I blame him. He repeats that the captain is crazy, and then Scurvy tries to tell Clark what's going on on the ship. Like I said, we've already seen that treasure is loaded onto the ship, and now Scurvy shows Clark what's done with the treasure that's loaded onto the ship. Apparently the Vulture has makes fake treasure and kind of sells them to museums as real pirate booty. So now on the ship, Clark will have his second run-in with Sanders, which is rather amusing as he's holding his index finger on, I believe, his right hand into Sanders' back end. Sanders thinks it's a gun, but because apparently Clark's hand feels like steel. Well, Mr. Sanders, they don't call him the Man of Steel for nothing. Again, this is another situation that could have been dealt with very easily if he was wearing a Superman suit instead of his Clark Kent outfit. He could have just busted in, saved Lois and Jimmy, and kind of been off, and this episode probably would have been better for it. It'll save a lot of the ridiculousness that comes later. So I do like this little gag about the with the finger, and even though Clark says it's not a gun, Sanders is not convinced, even though Clark tells him it's his finger. So while Sanders is spilling his guts about what goes on, to Clark, he is jumped from behind. Clark, that is. So there is some amusing stuff in this fight, such as one of the guys who tries to punch Clark who ducks, and the guy who's punching him smashes his fist on the bulkhead and screams in pain. But other than that, it's a straightforward fight. Clark is doing well for himself, but he's not really well enough because he's still pretending to be human. I mean, Sanders really doesn't give any indication that he knows who Clark is, so he probably could have 
fought these guys and kind of have to throw them overboard now. And he probably would have saved himself a whole lot of anxiety later on when he has to walk the plank. At one point during this fight, he does actually take off his glasses and looks as though he's about to change into Superman. And he actually says, Superman, where are you? If you listen close, it sounds more like Clark is saying, Superman, but I guess there wasn't time to fix that. But you know what? If Superman hadn't decided to change back into Clark, he could have solved this problem already. So now as Clark is running away, he runs into Lois and Jimmy without his glasses on, and they don't recognize him to be Superman. I guess you can say that it's dark and he doesn't really stay still long enough for them to get a good look at his face, but come on. He actually spends most of the time yelling at them to leave him alone so he can change, but it is the run-in with Lois and Jimmy that gets Clark caught and sent to walk the plank. Again, had he just stayed Superman, things would have been fine. And right now, at this point, McBain has absolutely lost it. Even Sanders objects to him having Clark walk the plank. So, McBain, with his pirate's uniform and his long pirate beard, has definitely lost himself in the part. After Clark walks the plank, this is when Superman shows up to save the day, because obviously Clark, in the water, now has an opportunity to change. And Clark, Superman come back up. None of these guys realize they just pushed him into the water. And now what we probably get is one of the best Superman fight scenes of Season 2. So say what you want about this episode, it might it probably does have the best Superman fight. I mean, it's a little ridiculous, but it's entertaining. This fight won't match the fight in the gymnasium in No Holds Barred, but it's fun. You know, I like how Superman kind of gets these guys stuck in a ladder, and there's, no, there's nothing better than when George Reeves puffs out his chest when McBain goes to stab him. And apparently, after everything he's done, that is too much for McBain, who just kind of looks at the bent sword and just faints. I guess he wasn't expecting that to happen. You know, Superman has been around long enough that, you know, these guys should know not to swing swords and shoot him, but they still do. Ugh. Now we get a very strange scene. As Lois and Jimmy kind of emerge from the background after Superman has mopped up the crew, and they're trying to convince Superman to rescue Clark. But Superman is just apathetic toward Clark's plight at all, and just stalling, bending iron bars around some of the guy's wrists, just taking his sweet time. I mean, obviously, we both we all know, along with Superman, that Clark is in no danger in the water. Lois and Jimmy don't know that, and they're genuinely concerned for Clark, and they're quite put out by Superman's total indifference to Clark. And it gets so bad that... Lois actually says to Superman that she'll never forgive him if something happens to Clark. So, I guess beyond the making fun of Clark and teasing him and all that, she's actually friends with him. She actually considers him a friend and he's important to her. Maybe Superman was stalling to get her to admit that, I don't know, but either way, it's kind of a dick move on his part. So, but anyway, a little bit of a funny ending as Superman dives back into the water and Clark climbs the ladder up to the boat, his hands no, no longer tied, I guess we can assume. For those of you not in the secret identity know that Superman probably just untied Clark's hands under the water because we shouldn't be surprised if Superman didn't come back because he told Lois and Jimmy that he wouldn't come back. So as soon as Superman is gone, Clark appears, kind of hanging out under the plank without his glasses on. And this is one of the few times that I notice he kind of used a different voice as Clark, something a little more high-pitched. Maybe it's to make, maybe it's his way of simulating excitement to see Lois after surviving walking the plank. I don't know. But Clark's voice does sound a little bit different here. Maybe enough to convince Lois that it's actually not Superman's voice. So, And then Clark 
offers his hand up to Lois to kind of get some help, and, well, he pulls her into the water. Watching this made me wonder if the river scene at Niagara Falls where Lois throws herself into the water to prove that Clark is Superman harkens back to this in any way, because something similar happens there, except in the in Superman 2, Clark goes into the water to save Lois, he falls in and she has to save him, kind of changing her mind about the secret identity, and that's kind of what happens here, that Lois's mind is changed about Clark's secret identity because he clumsily knocked her into the water. So, it's about it for that episode, I really don't have much else, there's really not much to say about this one. Like I mentioned before, probably one of the weaker entries into Season 2. And I think you're going to hear me say that quite a bit over the next three episodes. As When I look at the episode titles, none of them are particularly memorable. I think the only one that really stands out is the season finale around the world, world with Superman because it's so different. Maybe. And even that one's not my favorite episode in the world. So why don't we put our pirate gear away and I'll take a break, play another promo, and then I'll come back with Jimmy Olsen, Boy Editor. Hang around, folks. Star Wars, give me those Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars, don't let them Star Wars, those here in Star Wars. Talking about Star Wars on a podcast. I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. Well, you're part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Both and Spies. That was my podcast! Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? (sighs) I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me Those... Including the irredeemable Shag, whose voice you will technically hear on every episode. On Give Me Those Star Wars... The official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Jimmy Olsen, Boy Editor. Original broadcast date was February 8, 1954. Writer was David Chandler, and director was Tommy Carr. Guest cast includes Herb Vigran as Lex Lemmy, Keith Richards as a henchman. Dick Rich as Toots, Charles Anthony Hughes as the director of Mercy General Hospital, Ron Hargrave as the boy mayor, Robert Croissant as the boy chief of police, and Jack Pepper as the Daily Planet's custodian. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Daily Planet editor Perry White had a rough night and could not get to sleep. Can you imagine cub reporter Jimmy Olsen reading the riot act to editor Perry White? White, when I can't rely on you to do a simple thing like going out for sandwiches. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. It won't happen again. Believe me, it won't happen again. It all began the night Perry White had an attack of insomnia. He tried counting sheep, 
There was a cold turkey leg in the refrigerator. Also some leftover clam chowder. And all sorts of other tidbits. Which he topped off with a cigar. After that, he didn't know whether he felt better or not. But at least he slept, or thinks he did. And then suddenly it was bright daylight. He realized he was late. He shaved, showered, and dressed. Then raced across town in a taxi to the Daily Planet building and up to the editorial offices on the 18th floor. Why do you think you're going? Kent! Kent! Did you call me, Chief? No, I called Kent. Is your name Kent? What's all the shooting about? And is your name Kent? No, sir. My name is Jimmy Olsen, Chief. Don't call me Chief. And can either of you nitwits tell me what that man thinks he's doing? Oh, it looks like he's taking your name off the door. Who told you to do such a ridiculous thing? Superman. Oh, so it's you, is it? What's the big idea? Well, actually, Mr. White, it was your own idea. My idea? What do you mean? Don't you remember several months ago, a number of the civic leaders of Metropolis agreed to my plan? of instituting a Boys' Day program. Well, that's right, Chief. And you were one of the most enthusiastic. You mean to say that he... he yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to be editor of the Daily Planet for the next 24 hours. And I expect plenty of cooperation out of everybody. Why, Remember, Mr. White, this was partly your own idea. Now, listen to me. Talking about these things is one thing. But actually doing them is absolutely silly. Great Caesar's ghost. What gives you the idea that a young whippersnapper like Olson can run the most important paper in Metropolis? After all, it's only for 24 hours. He can ruin the paper in 24 hours. Well, actually, Mr. White, things are very quiet in the city. Most of the known hoodlums are already behind bars. Thanks to you. And the point is this. Nothing terribly important can happen in such a short space of time. You mean I'm just a figurehead? You're just a figure with no head. Look, Chief, there's a boy mayor, a boy chief of police, and a boy everything else in town today. So I guess you're just stuck with a boy editor. Okay. I'll be in the city room if you want me. Chief. Don't call me Chief! <laughs> Good luck, Jim. Thanks, Superman. Golly, what a reporter he'd make. Why, he could be to the fires before the fire engines. But if he thinks I'm going to sit around here for the next 24 hours doing nothing, he's just as wrong as Mr. White is. You mean you're really going to be boss? You bet. And seeing as how there aren't any good stories coming in, I'm going to make one. Well, like how? Do you remember Legs Leamy? Well, sure. He was the chief suspect in that $2 million armored car holdup about five or six years ago. But they didn't have enough evidence to convict him. 
That's right, Miss Lane. But it wasn't five or six years ago. It was seven years ago, tomorrow. You mean after today, the statute of limitations will protect him, and they'll never be able to try Lamy for that holdup. That's exactly what I mean. Hello? Give me the press room. Well, Jimmy, wait a minute. You don't have any new evidence. Press room, hold page one for a replay. To prove something to Perry, Jimmy manufactures a story saying that new information in the case could send the thief to prison. Lemmy reads this in the latest edition of the Daily Planet. Brilliant young editor of Daily Planet unites new evidence in Legs Lemmy case. Gee, Legs, you read real good. Shut up. Let the boss read about himself. Ferret-like investigation work on the part of James Olson, editor of the Daily Planet, has turned up new evidence which may at the last minute convict the notorious Legs Leamy before the seven years statue of limitations allows this dangerous public enemy to walk the streets a guilty but free man. Gee, Legs, that's a real good write-up. Yeah, take a look for publicity. 24 hours from now, he wouldn't be able to touch me. But if this punk kid has really turned something up... Hey, that could be bad, huh, boss? Very bad. For him. Come on, let's go. As Jimmy goes through files on Legs Lemmy, did you find anything in those files? No. How about you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I guess I really stuck my neck out this time. And when you stick your neck out, you know it can happen, don't you? You mean like what happened to the turkey on Thanksgiving Day? That's what I mean. That's right, Jim. You're boss today, but Perry White comes back tomorrow. He could fire you for running a phony story. But golly, Mr. Kent, the chief is always talking about aggressive journalism, getting behind the story. Making it happen. Sure, Jim, but when you start to make something happen, you'd better really do it, or else. You know what I mean? Maybe we'd better start trying real hard, Jim. Yeah. Give me another stack of those folders, will you? I flick the switch on the intercom. Good idea, Kent. At least you'll be able to hear what's going on in there. It's going to be hard on my nerves, but... I suppose if that young idiot starts burning down the building, nobody will blame me for going in there with a fire extinguisher. I've looked through 80 jillion folders, Jim, and I'm right where I started. The Daily Planet and its brilliant young editor never rest, Miss Lane. I'll see Legs Leamy in jail if it's the last thing I do. And it may well be the last thing you do, pal. Legs Leamy! Great Caesar's ghost. Now, Legs? Yeah, now. You wouldn't dare. Wait a minute. Miss Lane doesn't know anything about this. If you gotta shoot anybody, shoot me. They're gonna shoot them, Kent. Do something. It's too dangerous, Chief. For you, maybe. Wait a minute. If we rush in there, they're sure to be shooting. But I don't think that Legs Leamy wants to add murder to his list of crimes right now. Maybe you're right. You better play for time. Exactly. And I do wish Superman were here. I don't think even Superman could help you right now. He could break in there and take those two thugs, but... Meanwhile, Lois and Jimmy might get hurt. That crazy kid. I guess I'm just a crazy kid, Miss Lane. I wouldn't have gotten you into this jam for anything. Point that thing down, will you, toots? It makes me nervous. So, what's this new evidence you got on me, kid? I'm not going to tell you anything. Okay, toots, you can raise it again. Well, wait a minute. I'll tell you. Down, toots. Honest legs, I mean, Mr. Leamy, I don't know anything. Now we let Miss Lane go? 
Who are you trying to kid, hero? But it's true. The whole story was just made up, so you see you have nothing to worry about. Why, you can leave any time you want. Please, lady, you pain me. No big newspaper like the Daily Planet's gonna pull a story like that if they can't back it up. Besides, it don't make no difference anyways. It don't? I mean, it doesn't? No, because by midnight tonight, they won't be able to prosecute me for that holdup anyways. So we just sit around here till tomorrow. All five of us, real cozy-like. And if nobody bothers us, nothing's gonna happen to you kids. And it'll be a real happy ending for everybody. So now be good little children and sit over there on that divan. Well, at least Lois and Jimmy are safe. And those hoodlums are making fools out of all of us. By George, when the planet prints a story, it means it. Aren't you changing your tune, Chief? You mean you're going to back Jimmy up now? He's the editor, isn't he? Yeah. I'll back him to the limit until tomorrow. And then I'll fire that young whippersnapper so fast it'll make his head swim. Well, meanwhile, let's alert the authorities. I don't want Legs and these thugs to get away. The police have the Daily Planet building surrounded. Bells, whistles, sirens. Sounds like a five-alarm fire. They got the whole block surrounded. Looks like we're gonna have to shoot our way out. Always wanted to shoot my way out, just like they do in the movies. Oh, stupid! We don't have to do anything like that. By midnight tonight, we walk out of here free men. Aren't you forgetting something, Legs? It looks to me like they thought of everything. Not quite, Jim. Okay, smart sister, what'd I forget? Simply that even if you wait out the time, they'll get you on a new charge, a gun charge. Smart girl, Lois. Not so smart. She should have kept it to herself. She's right. Why didn't one of you lugs think about that? You're supposed to be the brain's legs. Why didn't you think of it? Oh, shut up. We could always jam it down a kid's throat. So, the worst we draw is a year on a gun wrap, instead of 20 to 30 for that armed robbery. Then we're out, and we still got the $2 million. You mean you've actually got the $2 million? With you? Right here. In this bag. <laughs> What's so funny? Well, for Pete's sake, you don't think they're gonna let you keep it, do you? You mean they really won't let us keep it, Legs? It's ours. We stole it, didn't we? Duh, hanging around with you two stoops must be catching. But I know one thing for sure. If we don't walk out of here tomorrow morning without being pinched and with the dough, a certain smart alley genius boy type editor ain't never going no place again, ever. He means you, Jim. Meanwhile, we got lots of time to kill, so, uh, so relax. Relax? Sure, why not? Anybody for sandwiches? Sure, kid, sure. Uh, like they say in the books, the condemned man ate a hearty sandwich. Hello, Gertrude. Will you please tell Mr. Ward, I mean, tell White to send some sandwiches in here and tell him to hurry. Later, Perry brings in some sandwiches which are thrown off the balcony because Lemmy believes they could be poisoned. While the thief is doing this, Lois admires his henchman's Toots' machine gun. My, that's a pretty gun you have. Thanks. It's so nice and clean. Gee, it must be fun to have a lot of guns. A lot? Who needs a lot? All we got is Betsy. Oh, just the one, eh? Mm -hmm. You must be strong. Well, I bet I couldn't even lift it. Sure you could. Betsy ain't heavy. Here, see? Don't anybody move. Nice going, Miss Lane. I'll tell him to send in the police right away. Someday, toots, I'm gonna buy a microscope and examine your brain. 
Gertrude, send the police into my office immediately. Gertrude? Looks like you were cut off, huh, kid? Stay where you are. Now, uh, Miss Lane, let's face it, you're just not the sort of girl who could go around blasting people with a gun like that, right? I'm afraid I'm not. But if it doesn't have any bullets in it, you couldn't use it either, could you? Kent, we've got to do something. Smart girl, she's firing at the ceiling. The slow-witted criminal, Toots, that is, believed it was the only weapon they had until Legs pulls a pistol on Lois and Jimmy. Their attempt to escape has failed, and it looks like they may not leave the Daily Planet building alive. Legs is counting the stolen money to divide it with his men. Jimmy notices that he's put more bills in his pile than in the other one. He's given some cash by Toots and the other thief for keeping Legs honest. Hey, Miss Lane, does the serial number 69296970G mean anything to you? It sure does. Those files we went through, that was one of the listed serial numbers on the stolen bills. So what? So this money is all the evidence they need to send you guys up the river. Oh, no. Why doesn't he just ask them to shoot him and get it over with? Thanks, kid. I didn't know whether they had those numbers or not. So now I quit being nice. One phony move out of you and your number's up. Oh, I can just see the headlines tomorrow. Boy editor opens big mouth once too often. How true, how true. Kent, we've got to do something and quick. I don't want anything to happen to Olsen until I get my hands on him. Well, I can't think of anything cooped up here. Maybe some fresh air will give me an idea. Wait, I'll go with him. No, someone ought to stay here. I'm just the office boy, remember? That's right, you are, so I'll make it an order. Stay here. Leaving Perry White to stew in the mild-mannered reporter's office, Clark Kent is left for Mercy General Hospital as Superman. The Man of Steel has made an unusual request of the director. He needs something that could assist him with a plan. It is now three minutes before the statute of limitation ends for Legs Lemmy. Superman has just gone to the Daily Planet's basement, and he has placed the liquid he received from Mercy General's director onto a cloth and into the ventilation duct to the editor's office. The substance is a new harmless anesthetic that has put Legs Lemmy and his thugs to sleep along with Lois and Jimmy. Clark and Perry enter to allow Lois and Jimmy to get some air to awaken them. Chief, get Jimmy. Bring him over here at the window. I'm sorely tempted to do something I'd probably never regret. Chief. What happened? That's what we'd like to know. Whatever made y'all go to sleep? Ask Jimmy. Oh, it was merely a matter of the power of suggestion. I knew if they saw me yawning and falling asleep, their subconscious libido would force a chain reaction into their cerebellum, inducing involuntary slumber. You gotta use your head when you're behind that desk, you know. Well, however you did it, it worked. In fact, it's the most important arrest of this year. The mayor and the chief of police are on their way up here now to do the honors. The mayor and chief of police, sir. Take over, chief. Yes, sir.
good work, Chief. I don't know what adults make such a fuss about. Take over, officer. Yes, sir. <laughs> I can't believe it. I must go home and go to bed. So that when I wake up, I'll realize this whole thing never happened. That's a good idea, Chief. And when you do wake up, look at a calendar. And if it's today, you realize this whole thing was just a bad dream. All right. This episode was a marked improvement over the previous effort, The Golden Vulture. And we start out with a narration that's showing Jimmy yelling at Perry in an interesting reversal. As we all know from watching countless episodes of this series, Perry is usually the one doing the yelling, and Jimmy is normally the one doing the receiving. Then we discover that Perry is having trouble sleeping, and yes, I can imagine Jimmy running the Daily Planet will give Perry nightmares. So as we're seeing scenes of Perry not sleep, I, I do believe this is the first time we've seen Perry's house in this series. Normally we've seen him at other places, like a hotel, the newspaper club, but I do believe this is the first time we've seen the editor at home. And he certainly doesn't lack for food. And Perry sure has an appetite when he can't sleep. He must have emptied his fridge and went to bed stuffed. Because after he ate all his food and took down a cigar, he slept soundly. Which goes to show, eating and smoking are obviously... Well, I don't recommend the smoking, but I guess eating will help put you to bed. Especially a big turkey leg. You know, that, that stuff that's in the turkey, uh, the clip the fan or whatever the hell it's called. That'll definitely put you into a turkey coma. That's something that... You should remember as Thanksgiving approaches. So anyway, at the office, Perry arrives on the 18th floor, which is a contradiction to a previous episode. Night of Terror in Season 1 established the editorial offices of the Daily Planet as the 28th floor, and there's also some discontinuity with the nameplate that the uh, custodian is putting onto Perry's door. Note, the plate says James J. Olson. However... For those of us who remember back to the case of the talkative dummy, the third episode of the series overall, when he's in Mr. Green's office, Jimmy identifies himself as James Bartholomew Olson. Or, in some cases, as I've mentioned, uh, the Perry, the B, stands for Blabbermouth. When Perry realizes that Perry is told by Superman, who's sitting at his desk, and reminds the chief that it's boy day, Perry is absolutely aghast, and he's pretty sure that Jimmy's going to ruin the paper in 24 hours. And like I said, it was very interesting that Superman was sitting at Perry's desk, kind of waiting for him to come in for the, for the festivities to get started. I wonder if Superman did this at the mayor's office and the police chiefs, too. So, apparently, Boy Day was Superman's idea to give the young people some lessons on how the important jobs in the city work. And Perry was all for it, until Jimmy was decided to be the editor of the Daily Planet. Perry's logic is that saying it is one thing, actually doing it is silly. So. If he thought actually doing this was silly, I'm not necessarily sure why he didn't speak up then. But either way, it's happening now, and he's not liking it. Now, Jimmy is overdoing it, kind of flexing his power muscles, and he nearly gets himself strangled by Barry. And then, Superman reminds everybody that it's only for 24 hours, and that nothing terribly important can happen in 24 hours. Um, Superman? Wrong. I got news for you, Man of Steel. Just from some of my previous life, my own previous life experience, and something George Reeves is going to find out in 1959 is that something terribly important can happen in 24 seconds, not necessarily 24 minutes. So bad stuff can happen really fast, no matter who you are. But before we uh, get into any further into the episode, I want to talk about Boy Day a little bit. Now I've seen some of these things done in towns that I've worked in as a journalist, but it usually involves a teenager shadowing someone for the day to kind of you know get an idea of what the job entails. 
you know, there is there would be like a shadow on the mayor and the police chief and things like that. I don't recall them ever being a shadow on the newspaper editor, but you know, the purpose of these things is for to get the the kids to get an idea of what these jobs are like and what they entail, what qualifications are needed, and things like that. But in none of these situations does the kid actually do anything. He's more of an observer, and he's there to ask the actual person who's doing the job questions, you know, about what he thinks about and how he makes decisions to do what he has to do, you know, things like that. The children are not actually doing anything. I mean, leaving the, the Daily Planet to somebody who is unqualified can lead to unmitigated disaster, and it almost does. I mean, like I said, when these boys are in charge, what if something happens? Do they leave it to the kid to deal with, or do the adults take charge again? I'd have to imagine that if it's something really serious, I mean, actually, this it, what's going to happen is really serious, that the adults take charge again, but, you know. It just doesn't seem logical to put very high-level and difficult positions into the hands of people who clearly can't handle them. I'm not sure how old these boys are supposed to be anyway. I've always, you know, Bob Fisher and I talked about this recently when we went over the boy who hated Superman. And you know what? Jimmy's probably in his early 20s. And even though that's young, Jimmy's a man at that point. He doesn't need to be doing these goofy kids things. So, that's my rant on that. And back to the episode. We're Like I said, we're going to see what kind of damage Jimmy can do in 24 hours. And as Superman leaves, I like Jimmy's musing about what kind of reporter Superman would be. Ha ha ha. You know, Jimmy. You just don't know that you know. So anyway, you know, as Superman flies off, the first thing I want to wonder is, where's the boy Superman? I guess there's no one really to take his place. And he certainly wouldn't want anybody trailing him. So Jimmy is going to make something happen. He's going to make up a story about Leg Gleamy, who is about to beat a rap on an armored car heist that it was seven years earlier and the statute of limitations is up. Going to be up the next day. So once the statute of limitations on the crime expires, he can't be charged for it. So Lemmy, Lemmy has been sitting around for seven years and, well, it's all about to end for him on the final day, yes. Jimmy put the story in the paper about how he has new information on Legs Lemmy, who apparently is not very good at reading. He's reading this in a very uh, interesting monotone and for those of you who are familiar with the series, you'll recognize Legs Lemmy as Herb Vigran, who we last saw in No Holds Barred, and he'll later return in Season 3 for Superman Week as Cy Horton. So Clark comes into his office, and he finds Perry hilariously balancing a pencil on his nose. Where? Oh. Hello, Kent. For a moment, I thought you were Jimmy Olsen. I've often caught him that way. Well, I almost am Olsen for today, heaven help me. Oh, yes, I'd forgotten, Chief. Today, you and Jimmy are trading places, is that right? Kent, that young whippersnapper is going to ruin this newspaper. In one day? Less, probably. Did you see that ridiculous story he ran on page one? Yes, it's quite a story. Don't you think he's turned something up? Bosh. The finest police minds in this country tried to pin that story on Legs Lemmy and couldn't. You don't think he's turned up any new evidence? What do you think? I think I'd better ask him. <clears throat> oh, uh, Kent. Yes? Do you mind sharing your office with me today? I... I just can't stand the way everybody looks at me down in the city room. <laughs> sure, Chief. Glad to have you. <laughs> and I like Clark's comment about how he frequently called Jimmy Olsen like that. So, uh, for all intents and purposes, Perry is Jimmy for this episode. Just a lot more high-strung. Obviously, Perry is still worried about the damage Jimmy can do in 24 hours at the helmet of the Daily Planet. And this is where we learn that his concern is justified as, you know, he's not very happy about Jimmy putting in that Legs Lemmy information, who... 
He doesn't believe for a minute that Jimmy could have uncovered something that the best police minds in the country didn't uncover, and he's probably got a point. We know for a fact that Jimmy hasn't come up with any new information. He's just trying to do something that will flush out the man, and he succeeds. And I also like Perry's last request of Clark as he is going to go talk to Jimmy about what he's found, is that Perry asks to share Clark's office because he's getting strange looks in the sitting room. And he's probably hearing some whispers to go along with those looks. But Clark laughs and he's glad to have the chief hanging out with him in his office. I wonder who's better company, Perry or Jimmy. But that's a question we're never going to get answered. Now, interestingly enough, we go back to the chief's office and even though Jimmy is the boy editor, he's sitting on the couch and Lois gets to, gets the desk. An interesting reversal right there. So they're looking for some kind of clue, something new to pin on Lemmy to connect him with that armored car heist. And, well, they're just not coming up with it. So, what did, what happens when they're down? Clark will come in to give them a lecture. And Jimmy even admits to having stuck his head out. And, you know, Clark, you know, I mentioned this when we did Beware the Wrecker last week. Clark is having another one of his teacher moments. You know, Jimmy even acknowledges that he might have stuck his head out too much. And, well, what does Clark do? He says, well, what happens when... We stick our necks out, and Jimmy makes this analogy that he ended up like a turkey on Thanksgiving, which it obviously means without his head. You know, that's a innocuous phrase, but, you know, it just makes amuses me a little more, knowing that this episode will drop two days before Thanksgiving. So, Clark fiddles around Perry's intercom, showing from a previous episode that we actually can just flick a switch and Perry's intercom will be on indefinitely. And this gives Clark and Perry the opportunity to listen from Clark's office. So right after Clark leaves, here comes Legs Lemmy, and he wants to know what's going on, and, you know, Jimmy is truly emulating Perry doing all this as he even lets out a, not only did he let out a don't call me chief earlier in the episode when Perry was leaving his own office to go be Jimmy for the day, but here he lets out a great Caesar's ghost. Jimmy is definitely emulating the man who is normally holds this position, and they do say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery or something. So Jimmy lets out that his story is fake, but Legs still doesn't believe it because a paper like the planet wouldn't do that, which, of course, it wouldn't, but Jimmy is in charge today, so they did. And Angela Perry says something interesting where he does mention that he is going to back Jimmy for the 24 hours that he's in charge, but with this stunt, Jimmy could be facing termination tomorrow, which I don't think that is something Jimmy thought of until Lois mentioned it to him. She actually says to him at one point, oh, Jimmy, don't forget, Perry White will be in charge tomorrow again, and he could fire you. And I really think at this point, Perry is planning to do that. But that's Jimmy's problem tomorrow, not today. I don't think any of these three criminals are very intelligent. You know, obviously Toots isn't. And he even mentions that he, when the police have surrounded the building, that they're going to have to shoot their way out. He's always wanted to shoot his way out of something. Who wants to shoot their way out of a place? If they don't have to, at the very least. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, but if you can get out of someplace without the shootout, that's probably the best way to go. Now, Lois does something that's not smart. She mentions a possible gun charge, but she probably should have kept that to herself. Uh, she doesn't. And the longer this drama in Perry's office drags out, the more I'm convinced that all three of these guys are idiots. Toots, the other guy, and Legs. So at some point, Jimmy suggested that they all eat, and he asks Perry to go out and get some sandwiches, and he comes back with hamburgers. Well, technically, it is a sandwich. I thought he'd be going for, like, a ham and cheese or something like that, but nope. He's bringing, he's bringing back the hamburger. There is a really great and funny sequence as 
Perry leaves from bringing the hamburgers into the office that Jimmy tries to follow Perry right out the door, but Legs grabs him ever so gently by the shoulder and says, nope, you're not leaving right now either, Junior. So just a funny little bit there right in the middle of this tent scene. And of course, Legs is all kinds of paranoid here that the burgers are poisoned. And even though Lois and Jimmy are perfectly willing to eat them, Legs says no and hilariously flings them out the window. I can only imagine as he does this, somebody down 18 or 28 floors, whatever it is, not amused that they got hit in the head with with a burger. But anyway, the three burgers are gone, become sidewalk goop. Now, after the hamburger incident, Lois is going to hit on Toots a little bit, and he she gets him to actually hand over the Tommy gun. And he tells her that that's the only gun that the three criminals brought to the Daily Planet building. Well, what does Lois do? She does what, in the very famous sequence, she takes the Tommy gun and shoots it at the ceiling and emptying the bullets before handing it back to Toots. She wasn't smart enough, though, as she kind of summons Jimmy to leave, and this is when Legs reveals that he has a gun on him, and it's a small revolver, not a Tommy gun, but it does the job, and Toots later clarifies that Betsy, the Tommy gun, was the only machine gun that he had. As the scene goes back to Perry's office, I'm glad to see that at least Perry and Clark got to eat their lunch. I'm imagining Perry, while he was out, grabbed burgers for them, too. So, you see some of the remnants of lunch on Clark's desk, even though Jimmy's lunch and everybody else's in the office travel down 18 stories, or 28. Now, Legs mentioned that he's hungry and he's getting twitchy, but well, you know what? Maybe he shouldn't have thrown lunch out the window. And when Clark reminds Perry that Legs thought the burgers were poisoned, Perry amusingly wishes that Jimmy had eaten a ton of poisoned hamburgers. <laughs> Perry is getting really down on Jimmy here. To the point where, you know, later on in the episode, he's actually going... I really believe he considers pushing Jimmy out the window. But he may not have needed to, as Lois and Jimmy clearly talk too much, as the criminals are counting their money, and Jimmy points out that Legs' pile is larger than everyone else's, so they, like the synopsis mentioned, they all give him a couple of bills to thank him for keeping Legs honest. And that's when Lois and Jimmy talk rather loudly about how these... how the serial numbers on the bills can be used to link... Lemmy to the crime. And all this does is elicit a facepalm from Clark and a question from Perry asking why he doesn't just ask him to shoot him. Perry is in rare form, and honestly, I think the best part about this episode is watching Perry and Clark commentate on what's going on in Perry's office. So now Perry's getting a little more urgent, and you know, Perry says to Clark that he doesn't want anything to happen to Olsen, but then quickly amends his statement to say he doesn't want anything to happen to Olsen until he can get his hands on him. So, you know, I'm not going to make any bones about it. Perry likes Jimmy despite the way he treats him. He sees something in, in Jimmy, and he tries, and he's trying to bring it out of him, but Jimmy doesn't always make it easy. But I really don't believe Perry wants anyone to know that he actually cares about Jimmy. So, Clark needs some fresh air, and, you know, Clark needing fresh air means he needs to change into Superman, because he always wants to change into Superman when he asks someone to stay behind and not come with him. And... I love how Clark orders Perry to stay since, you know, he can give Perry orders because Perry is technically not the boss today. He's Jimmy for the day. Jimmy's the boy editor. Perry is the man cub reporter, for lack of a better term. And you really never see the look on Perry's face when Clark tells him to stay. But the way his body stiffens, you can just tell that he is disgusted by the idea of Clark giving him orders. Immediately after this, Clark walks to the storeroom, and I half expected him to have his hat on when he went to the storeroom, but he doesn't. This is a newly shot scene of Clark walking down the hallway in the office and going to the storage room. So now Superman is kind of off as he flies to 
Mercy General Hospital to get some kind of package from the doctor or director of the or administrator, whatever this guy is. It's a package, and whatever it is, it's not something they usually give out, and, but but it's okay since it's Superman. I'm guessing it's some kind of gas as we see Superman going from the hospital back to the Daily Planet, pouring it into the ventilation system. Up in Perry's office, we don't see any gas, but Lois and Jimmy fall asleep first, and then the rest of the gang starts to yawn. One of the guys mentions that, you know, when one person starts yawning, everybody else does. You know, the contagion of yawning, you know. You know, it happens quite a bit. You know, one person yawns, and next thing you know, everybody else is. So, Tutch goes down, he's the first to go to sleep, and he actually lays his head on the Tommy gun. Which, just to me, that doesn't seem comfortable in the slightest, because the gun's got to be metallic and cold. Shortly after, Legs joins him, and now everybody's having a slumber party in Perry's office. And they're snoring. And I've been told that I snore, and I wonder if that snoring is what I sound like when I'm sleeping. So, with everybody uh, taking a snooze, and Clark asks Perry to bring Jimmy out to the window, which is probably not a good idea right now. He might push Jimmy out, and Perry even considers it until Clark scolds him. You know, Perry says he'll never regret it if he pushed Jimmy out the window, but he probably would. Especially if the, if the uh, boy police chief and came after him and questioned him about it. Speaking of which, here they are. Here's the boy mayor and the boy police chief. I'm not sure how old they are, but the boy police chief is carrying a gun. I don't know how old you have to be to carry a gun as a boy police chief, but he's got one. He just kind of sets it right on the floor next to the sleeping criminals. Doesn't seem like the best way to handle a firearm, but I guess it gets the job done. But I have to wonder how old these guys. We've established, well, I don't know if we've really established it, but Bob and I have kind of come to a consensus that Jimmy is in his early 20s. Are these guys in their early 20s too? I don't know. They could be. The actors themselves are probably closer to 30 at this point. But, you know, it is what it is. Actors in their mid-20s have been playing teenagers and young adults for years. So, it's still going on, and I don't see it ending anytime soon. And I do like how the ending scene in this episode calls back to Perry's inability to sleep from the opening. And Clark's logic is sound. As, if tomorrow was today, then this episode never happened. Which is an interesting thought, because the narration at the beginning shows Perry... Awake, or trying to sleep, unable to sleep, gorging himself on food, and then having a smoke, and then going back to bed, and kind of the next thing we see is Perry getting up and going to work. Now, there's obviously nothing to indicate that this is a dream, but there's really nothing to indicate that it's not. So, I truly believe, and I said this at the beginning of the episode, that Jimmy running the planet is Perry's worst nightmare. I am inclined to believe this did happen the way it did, but... Such is life in these episodes. We don't get to see tomorrow. With that being said, if you have any thoughts on these two episodes or anything else that I've covered, you can send me an email at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can find the show's homepage at manofscreen.podomatic.com. You can leave comments there if you're so inclined. Or you can join the Facebook group for the podcast. You just put Man of Screen Podcast up in your search feed and you should find it. And you can also... Please uh, don't hesitate to give the show a review on iTunes. That helps others find the show. You can give the, sh the show a review not only on iTunes, but Stitcher as well. So if you're so inclined, I would please encourage you to do that. And I will read it on mic unless you ask me not to. So next time, Jimmy will become obsessed with the Lady in Black. And the Star of Fate will come from Egypt in a mysterious box. So until then, this is Mike Zumo. And I just want to say thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. 
Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.